of Christ, vast, unmeasured, boundless, and free. There's at least four sermons there. We'll come back to John 4 for this morning. Turn there, would you? John chapter 4. The message this morning is entitled, The Second Miracle at Cana. And what we're going to be doing, all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea before my Child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left. Now the Second sign that Jesus did when he'd come from Judea to Galilee. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Some really important things for our consideration and application as they're contained in this text. The first is this for the note takers. Here you go. The first difficulty and death come to both rich and poor, young and old. Secondly, Sufferings can result in the greatest of good. Once more, sufferings can result in the greatest of good. And then lastly, the third, the promises of Christ are always true. So once more, my... wrapped around what's going on. After two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. 
for they too had gone to the feast. So the two days, of course, are those two in Samaria. And I am pretty confident that was a rich time for them, filled with teaching and encouragement. Then our Lord, the text says, quote, departed for Galilee. He went back up to the north country of Israel, where he had performed his first miracle, having had turned, in, turned the water into wine in that marriage celebration. Our text then describes it by our Lord, and it's this, a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And I was thinking about what we are to make of this, and whenever I've considered this, this expression, I've always made kind of a personal and I'm, I'm really I'm quite joyful. My, my sins are forgiven. I, I feel that weightiness and, and that confidence, and I want to share that with my three younger brothers. And I remember trying to sh express the faith to them and basically been blown off. This prophet had no honor in his own family. Why was that so? No, why too? I mean, I'd shared a room with my youngest brother my, my whole life. We doubled up the four boys in two different bedrooms. My mom and dad rented homes, and, and we always paired up, and we just knew each other so well. All the foibles was rough. and unpolished too in those days and I'm sure I, I said things too strongly but my intentions were good and yet I wasn't listened to I had no honor as a prophet in that home a speaker of truth so that was personal I didn't have any standing my gospel testimony was not acknowledged it wasn't this One, this God-man, God incarnate, who's often described as the man from Galilee. What kind of honor did he have? Well, here's another take. Some have written, they feel that our Lord was leaving to go to another place where as yet he had no honor. I'm not sure that's true. It could be Cana. He's going back to Cana, so there was some notoriety in a positive sense that something pretty amazing had happened, that wedding banquet, water turned into wine, no ordinary event. Many there, our text tells us, had Others say that the honor that our Lord had accrued from the cleansing of the temple in Jerusalem in the province of Judea uh, had now produced a sufficient honor for him to, to go to his home country, as it were. He's the man from Galilee. 
and it was a word of mouth ministry. And now he's enabled to begin a new and fruitful season of ministry. I tend to concur with some helpful insights by William Hendrickson, who writes these words. When chapter 445 states that the Galileans welcomed him because they had seen his miracles, this must not be interpreted to mean that they honored him. Catch the distinction. It has modern day application in spades. 448, our text teaches the opposite, quote, Jesus said unto him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So what is he saying? Ooing and over an alleged miracle is not the same as genuine heartfelt worship. We have all sorts of knuckleheads out there proclaiming to be emissaries of Christ, even pastors in his church, who bind demons with karate chops and sell you holy prayer anointing shawls for $29.95 on late night TV. But wait! People fall prey to these things. It's not genuine worship. It's a seeking of flashes in the pan, signs and wonders, miracles, if you will, that at times are counterfeits by the prince of the power of the air and his servants. Wing and eyeing doesn't make it. All of us enjoy at times the tricks of the magician doesn't mean that we bow in honor of him following his performance. Another possibility, and this is a strong one, I think this has some merit. Jesus goes to a place where he knows he has little or no honor so that he can then, in an unhindered fashion, perform his ministerial duties without having the heat of the religious rulers who are there. Pharisees don't like him. He's upset the apple cart of their authority and prestige. The people tend to give some time and attention to the words of our Lord at their expense. And they are not enamored with that. Confident in. Jesus always performs his ministry with perfect timing and in proper fashion. And he went about his father's business just as his father directed him. Clearly, our Lord desires that the Galileans would both receive him and honor him. That they would hopefully be tangible fruits and proof positives that they had embraced the gospel very far. Just another chapter or two ahead. We see that there's a large number of those who had heard him and seen his miracles. All the signs and wonders, all the stuff that John Wimber used to say about the vineyard movement. He said, I want to see the stuff. They, the stuff wasn't dirty. And then it gets worse in chapter 666. After this, many of his disciples, the groupies, if you were, the ones that were hanging out with him, hanging on every word. Backdrop.
we now dive into the beginning of the great Galilean ministry of our Lord Jesus. This is 16 months of uninterrupted, unbroken ministry from A.D., December of 27 A.D. until April of 29 A.D. This is what our text begins to display to us. And again, Jesus is found in this description, revealing himself to humanity. So that brings us to our first emphasis. Difficulties and death come to both rich and poor, young and old. And I'll read verses 46 and 47 again that accentuate that. Reading. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. In Capernaum, there was an official whose man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee. He went to him and asked him to come down and, and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus is back at Cana, in Cana, and there are new works there for him to do, works that he has purposed to do. One of which is this, a little boy is near to death. Now, some of us gathered here this morning have lost children or a spouse or family or parents or friends. We've endured a season where our health has been lost or having a tough season right now. And what this story should do is connect to us because of our own experience of this life. And indeed it is. Bishop Ryle writes, He that is wise will never consider long life as a certainty. We never know what a day may bring forth. The strongest and fairest are often cut down in hurry ways prepared. to meet God, to put nothing off which concerns eternity, and to live like men ready to depart at any moment. So living, says Bishop Ryle, it matters little whether we die young or old, joined to the Lord Jesus. We are safe in any event. Good counsel. So the anxious father of our text, he's heard reports that there's, there's one here, a person who has in his possession a most amazing power. One who might be inclined to use his power to help his ailing son. The man is an official. He's a royal officer of that area's tetrarch ruler, Herod Antipas. And, and like most officials, he's likely compensated. Money is not his problem. It is not an issue for him. Illness has stricken his boy, and it's resulted in his boy being brought close to death. And it appears, sadly, tragically, that the natural order of things is about to be reversed, that this little boy is going to precede his father in death. This is a heartbreaking scenario. And I was thinking about this. We've all had our griefs in this life. I've not buried a child. But I was just remembering again, I, I cite this place from time to time. It just made such an impression on me. My wife and I would go back to Maslin, Ohio and care for her mom. And several times we walked in that old cemetery that I've mentioned to you before. Some of them were three centuries old. And there were so many children. 
infant son of John Smith, aged three months and seven days. Beloved daughter of Sarah Hutchison, over as you walk through this, this heavily vegetated, kind of gloomy and dark and mildewy and moldy and, 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 and mossy place. It's usually it's a gray day because that's Ohio, right? You know, and you're there a lot. You To happen a lot more often. So in our own text, this moneyed official of Herod probably had it as beck and call the, the best physicians of the area. They'd already, I'm sure, been summoned. And they tried as hard as they could to preserve the life of this boy, and it was a fail. And now he hovers. Barely hanging on to life. They couldn't help him. I'm confident that no expense had been spared. Death has come knocking and the door is nearly open to allow him in. So what does he do? In his desperation, he goes to... He's willing any... He does, as we've already read, Jesus gives the word, go, your son will live, verse 50. So it was a word, not the man's wealth that preserved the life of his son. It was the word that carried the day and gave this man what he so desperately wanted. And I, I was just thinking about application here, and it just came to me in boatloads, and this text should remind you and I that riches and wealth will ultimately fail us. The day from eternal counsels... ...to strip us from this life and carry us to the life to come. And it won't matter how much money you have in the bank... It'll be of no use in the final analysis. I was thinking of several texts that might be helpful for us just to consider briefly. I won't unpack them all, but I'm going to rattle off four or five. Of these six, verse 17. Could you just turn there, though, real quick and just put it before you? This is some of the best teaching with regard to money and wealth and what it'll do and not do. As who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And Timothy continues, Paul continues telling Timothy.
What is truly life, you should ask? Jim hit the nail on the head once more. Thank you, brother. Serving the other guy. That's truly life. So I did that one another series a year or two ago, and my attempt to exhort all of you to pull the trigger and be members, because we're members in community. We serve one another. There's 28 one another's in the New Testament. It requires close physical proximity. Union, identity, one with the other, hearts knit together in the truce. That's what really matters. It's not your pocketbook, although some are blessed with riches to do good things. But it says, this, this text says, the stuff that we have now is meant to enhance the quality and quantity of life that we have in the future, in glory. I like Isaiah 55. Five, a classic teaching on the right usage and right focus of wealth and resources and stuff. It reveals to us what's really valuable, what's really precious, what's really durative. Just a couple of verses from there. Opening two verses. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And, and he who has no money, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. What is it that we're to be listening to? It's the word. And fill us and satisfy us and nourish us. It is the word of God. We must hear this word of God. We must chew on it and reflect on it and put it ever before us as we live this life because there's just so many for Philippians 4. Verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Dear ones, what is our need but forgiveness of sin and the hope of a future? And he... Paul tells the Philippians, God provides richly for us in those departments. That's what we really needed. That's what we've received. It's what we own and have now and always, if we know Christ. Proverbs 15, verse 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. So true. Life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, nor friends, we know very little. Little about the official in our account this morning, whether or not his monetary policy was honoring to the Lord or was not. But I think it is very safe for us to say that he would give in all that he possessed to save the life of his son. Ryle once more. There is no more common or more mischievous error. The rich have no cares. The rich are as liable to sickness as the poor and have a hundred anxieties beside of which the poor know nothing at all. Silks and satins often cover very heavy hearts. The dwellers in palaces 
often sleep more in poor cottages. Gold and silver can lift no man beyond the reach of trouble. They may shut out debt and rags, but they cannot shut out care, disease, and death. David was a happier man when he kept his father's sheep at Bethlehem than when he dwelt as a king at Jerusalem and governed the 12 tribes of Israel. You get it? At the end of the day, money won't do it. Christ will. Second emphasis, sufferings can result in the greatest of good. I'll be reading verses 48 to 50 once more. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. Many of us are currently in the faith. We entered into the faith through God's means of suffering and diffs have occurred. to our souls because of those past difficulties. Those troubles cause us to look up, to see the Lord, to see his hand, to see his care, despite circumstances. And I think a large part of our official suffering, this man in the text, is rooted in an inadequate view of the Christ whose help he seeks. Many, most of our own sufferings, I think now, even after having entered in the faith, are perhaps produced in the same fashion. In other words, what I'm saying is we have an inadequate or his power potential in our lives. I think this man had been influenced by at least two errors, errors that you and I probably are guilty of as well. His plea comes. down before my child dies you need to be there with him right now lord please get ready gather the things you need and let's get rolling i think the official wants jesus to make the trip from canaan to capernaum it's not a long trip a few hours walk he wants him to stand at his boy's bedside physically lay his hands on cure not at all realizing that jesus could affect the cure by simply speaking the word and he could have spoken that word from anywhere. He could speak it and it'd be done. He had that kind of power because he's the incarnate God. That such a trip and close physical proximity was not necessary. Jesus states in that text that signs and wonders that are observed are not his urgent. See, 
I think he thought that the power of Christ could be limited by physical death. As Hendrickson writes, if there be any delay so that the boy dies before the healer arrives, all would be lost. That's hardly the case. That's absurd. Christ's very arrival via the incarnation, it vanquishes the power of death and it ushers in the possibility of eternal life to those who trust in him. He came to kill death. Amazing, isn't it? So much suffering occurs in our world, even in our lives, as a result of an erroneous, inadequate view of the person, the power, and the work of Jesus Christ. So much suffering, so much genuine confidence and trust in him and who he is. Jesus tells this man, go. And the text says the man went. He, quote, he went on his way. And what does he find when he returns to his home? That's the content of our last emphasis, which is the promises of Christ are always true. Here's what he finds. Verses 51 to 54. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your, father, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did. We had come down from Judea to Galilee. I thought about how we should summarize these closing verses. And I think it's something like this. All is well, just as our Lord promised, so he did. All is well, just as the Lord promised, so he did. From afar, in the very moment, the health of the boy was restored and he lived an incredible, unparalleled power went out from the Lord Jesus Christ in that moment of discussion with the boy's father, and he healed the boy. He cured him. And an accompanying power flowed out as a result. The father of the boy, indeed, the text says, all his household, they came to saving faith. They believed. Verse 53 promises were given. I don't think we have the full recording of all the conversation here. I think we have the gist. There was more. I'm confident. There was discussion. The discussion contained the gospel. The promises of the gospel were given. They were received. The Spirit did His work. It was believed. And not just the boy, but a whole family was healed physically and spiritually. What good news what good things the gospel brings to us. And this second miracle at Cana, it gave ongoing honor and influence to our Lord Jesus. I think such circumstances work largely the same way as in our own day. Despite the fallenness of our world, life is made available through the gospel. You know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Dear ones, don't seek the miracles. Don't seek the signs and the wonders 
those elusive hit and miss flashes in the pans. Believe the word which Jesus speaks to us. Trust that. Believe it as did the anxious father of our account. He believed the word even though he had not yet seen the deed promised by the word. He had not yet laid eyes on the fruits of that spoken word, which was going to be the restored body of his precious boy. He believed. May we model that same posture of spirit as that first century father gathered now to glory for nearly two millennia. May we too, like him, look with the eyes of faith towards glories that are future. Glories long ago promised by the word of Christ. I'm thinking of John 14, the opening verses, where Jesus tells us, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Then I'm thinking of Revelation 22. More promises, rich and full and immensely satisfying. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. They will reign forever and ever. These are the promises of the word of Christ and the Father who sent him. These are promises that his own may own forever and ever. Amen. Do you know this Christ? Have you believed his word? It, it, it's, just, it's just that simple. Jesus came to bring good news. He, he lived a perfect Sinless life in our stead. We are not perfect. We are not sinless. We cannot even hardly clean ourselves up a little bit. It's never far away. Our fallenness, our depravity, it's just right there before us most of the time. And we know it if we're really honest with ourselves. Jesus paid it all. Past, present, future. He paid all the penalties for our sin. We need not worry about that if we trust in him. It's just the most important news ever given. It is the greatest news ever given. Jesus did pay it all, and we owe it all to him. If your trust is in Christ, it's rooted in his word. That's why we say, nose and book, nose and book, nose and book. We need the reminders. We need those comforts. We have them, we'll live in that forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are holy and just and good. And we, our Lord, are mindful that you will by no means clear the guilty. That there is a price and a penalty to be paid and exacted for sin. And Father, we are grateful that you so love the world that you sent your beloved Son, our King and Lord Jesus. And he has paid the price and endured the penalty. And we who trust in him, who believe in his word, by grace through faith have been saved, pay no penalty. 
we have received and instead of penalty to come an imputed alien righteousness, his righteousness. You see us in the Lord Jesus. You see his blood covering our sin. You behold our iniquity no more. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this gift. Oh, Father, as the troubles of life uh, continue to afflict us, as death and disease and unrest and disappointment afflict with commonality, may we with the eyes of faith look to you and see that the greatest problems are cared for, the problems of the soul, the status of eternity, forgiveness and acceptance have been secured for us by Christ. Oh, Lord, help us to live with the eyes of faith and a sweet and solid perfection and perspective in the gospel promises. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen.